Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. I can feel the change in the way right now. Nothing's in my way. Dr. Jess Armine, coming to you from the Institute for Methylation and Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody. And this is going to be an interesting show tonight, um, a little departure from what we're used to doing, and we're going to talk about addictions. Uh, this was brought up by one of my friends in England, uh, a gentleman who I've been mentoring for a year now and um, whose uh, main practice is helping um, people with addictions. And he had asked me um, to um, uh, give input, if you will, on uh, what the neurophysiological portions of addictions are. And uh, it's a very interesting subject. So um, if you haven't gotten the uh, PDF, uh, any of the any places where I have posted, okay, there is a link to the PDF. And um, once you take about a minute to either go to... Um, mebim.org or uh, com or mthfrsupport.com and uh, just look for my picture and above it there will be a link for the PDF. In the meantime, I will be letting you know about our seminar which is taking place in mid-January. It is going along famously. Um, we are going to be doing the seminar on the 17th and 18th Gee, somebody says that they're not hearing anything. Um, okay, uh, looks like it's looks like everything's working. Okay, can can everybody hear me? Uh, <laughs> this is very disconcerting when somebody says. Let's see, can you hear me now? Okay, something must have uh, clicked off or clicked on. Um, hold on. I, uh, it sounds like that, uh, commercial for Verizon with the guy with the, uh, says, can you hear me now? Okay. I can't tell if anybody hears me, so, um... Somebody's going to have to let me know if they hear me or not, okay? Because uh, otherwise I'll be doing an entire episode 
uh, and no one's heard me. So um, if one of those nice people in the chat room can let me know. Okay, thank you so much. You don't know how disconcerting it is when someone says, I can't hear you. I'm like, oh, all right. So to reiterate, okay, the PDF can be obtained if you go to either mthfrsupport.com or uh, drjessarmine.com or mabim.org. I'm sorry, uh, mabim.org, you'll see the PDF for tonight's show, which we're talking about addictions. So onward and upward. Okay, so like I said, um, this show was uh, is dedicated to my friend uh, Michael Hilton up in, in uh, London uh, because he asked me to um, put some things together for him. And um, I know a bit about addictions, so I wanted to help everybody understand what addictions were. And uh, let's face it. <clears throat> so what is an addiction? The classical definition of an addiction is a state defined by compulsive engagement in naturally rewarding behavior or compulsive drug use despite adverse consequences. It can be thought of as a disease or a biological process leading to such behaviors, and that comes out of Wikipedia. And the key phrase here is compulsive engagement in naturally rewarding behavior and despite adverse consequences, and this applies to things like alcohol, drugs, gambling, sex and love, uh, eating, shopping, anything that can be considered rewarding. Uh, any behavior or substance that usually engenders a reward can, under, circumstance, under certain circumstances, become compulsive. But if we go to the next page, the question that has always been asked and you know, never has been answered until about now, is addiction just a behavior issue? Is it a weakness of spirit? Is it a weakness of stock? Are you a lesser person because you're you're addicted to something? And as uh, John Panetta, comedian, would say, oh, nay, nay. Because it has been discovered that there is something called reward deficiency syndrome. This This phrase was coined in 1996 by... Kenneth Blum, Ph.D., who was an early researcher in nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics, and um, someone who I, I've met before and I've taken some of his uh, seminars, a um, very brilliant man has been working with um, with addictions uh, for a very long time from the physiologic point of view, and um, reward deficiency syndrome or RDS. Uh, looks is a new way of looking at addictive behavior. Uh, um, sorry, one more time, Jess. I'll speak the English language, I promise. As a new way of looking at all addictive, um, obsessive, and compulsive behaviors, including substance and process addictions, personality, and spectrum disorders. This is uh, kind of wide-ranging, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it tonight. As a result of Dr. Blum's work, <clears throat> the American Society of Addiction Medicine, in August 15th, 2011 released a new definition of addiction, highlighting that addiction is a chronic brain disorder and not simply a behavioral problem involving too much alcohol, gambling, drugs, sex, etc. And that is kind of a breakthrough, people, because up until this time, people who have been addicted to anything have been ostracized as being simply weak-willed, weak-willed, um, and so forth. We all know what the, um, you know, the typical 
opinion of um, a drug addict or a drunk or anybody else is like. And really, if you go to these 12-step programs, you're going to find out there's a lot of people who have a lot of addictions. And they're your next-door neighbors, they're your friends, they're your family. This is the physiologic part of it, okay? It all centers around dopamine, okay? And there is a picture of dopamine on the next page. It's a crystalline, crystalline picture. A lot of what I'm going to be talking about tonight comes from a lecture given by Dr. Blum entitled Neurogenetics and Neurogenomics of Reward Deficiency Syndrome, Coupling Gene Polymorphisms and Risk of Excessive Reward-Seeking Behaviors. Okay, so um, guess what? We're going to be talking about genes, too. Dopamine, reward satisfaction. You know, anybody who's uh, been treated by me or been treating with me or has had me talk about dopamine before, I usually say that dopamine is a funny neurotransmitter. Uh, funny, strange, not funny, haha. And when it's low, it can cause things like uh, anhedonia, which is a lack of joy. It's like a depression where you just, you just nothing makes you feel good anymore. And when it's a little high, you can get paranoia. And when it's very high, uh, you can get hallucinations. Okay. And to give you some numbers, if the lab that I use, uh, 190 is the high level. When you're in the 250-300 range, you're talking about paranoia, okay? You're talking about the pleasant paranoia, you know, people who are just a little bit off, you know, and uh, they're just kind of shaky about everything, kind of looking behind their shoulder, but not the kind of paranoia where you have to cover all the windows with aluminum foil and get the aluminum foil hat on so that the CIA can't uh, pick up your thoughts, not that kind of paranoia. Anyway, when it gets above 400, you're talking in the hallucination range, Okay. To give you an idea, all of my patients with psychosis have dopamines in the four to 500 range, and all of my autistic kids, every single one of them have dopamines in the 600s, with the highest I've ever seen at 783. That's nasty. But a lot of times we don't talk about what dopamine's usual function is, and what dopamine does, that is your satiety neurotransmitter, your reward. Adequate dopaminergic function or dopamine function improves energy, creates feelings of pleasure, satisfaction, satiety, motivation, happiness, and more. When you have dopamine resistance, there is an, there is an increased need for pleasure-satisfying behavior or getting your dopamine fix. The dopamine fix is pursued by eating sugary and fatty foods, overeating, drinking, drugs, gambling, sex, internet gaming, thrill-seeking behaviors, and in other words, all excessive reward-seeking behaviors. And when you can't get enough of it, okay, it's called reward deficiency syndrome. How does this come about? Okay, this comes about because of a genetic polymorphism in the DRD2 gene, okay, which is located on um, chromosome number 11. And it's the gene that creates the D2 receptors. There's actually four dopamine receptors that we're talking about the D2 receptor. And the polymorphism, which Dr. Blum calls the A1 allele, yields a condition where there is one-third lower amount of D2 receptors. And on the left-hand side of that picture, uh, you can see the normal dopamine function. And on the right-hand side, you see that there aren't enough dopamine receptors for you to get the reward that you're looking for. So if whatever behavior or substance you're utilizing 
give somebody a reward and they're satisfied by it, they have normal dopamine function. If it gives the reward and they're not achieving satiety, then that's reward deficiency syndrome. Now, if you've been sitting in a bar, you go to a sports bar, I usually see a couple of different types of people sitting at the bar itself. One is a couple of guys who are nursing a beer, and they're looking at the game and they're talking and they're chatting. And usually they're not over-drinking because whatever they're doing, they're pretty satisfied by it. And then there's the people who are kind of knocking back one after the other after the other. They're getting the dopamine release, but they're not getting satisfied by it, i.e. reward deficiency syndrome. And <clears throat> hypodopaminergic hypo function, too little dopamine function, impairs reward-dependent behaviors. And here's what you're going to see, and this is important, inability to cope with stress, increased carbohydrate, carbohydrate cravings, increased macro selection of fatty foods, in other words, a desire for fatty foods, reduction of energy expenditure, increased blood pressure, increased body fat, higher body mass index, blunted reward response to pleasurable experiences. In other words, you don't get happy with things that you should be happy by. Intensified binging behavior, addictive behaviors, impulsive behaviors, compulsive behaviors, personality disorders, poor executive function, difficult to think, and reduced global cognition. In fact, if you look at the next page, Dr. Blum put a grid up showing that uh, severe alcoholism, polysubstance abuse, smoking, obesity, attention deficit disorder, hyperactivity, tics, and uh, Tourette syndrome, autism, uh, compulsive behaviors like aberrant sexual behavior, internet gaming, pathological gambling, obsessive compulsive disorder, conduct disorders, antisocial personalities, aggressive behavior can all be part of the function of the DRD2 gene. And a lack of function of that gene can lead to some of these some of these symptoms. So how prevalent is this genetic polymorphism? You know, my mouth will work tonight, I promise. How prevalent is this genetic polymorphism? 33% <clears throat> of Caucasians carry this the, the DRT2A1 gene, and that's due to our mixed European heritage. There are uh, some areas of Europe where it's less than 7% and some that are a lot higher, so it's 33%. But 50% of the African Americans, 58% of the Hispanics, 72% of Asians, and 85% of Native Americans carry the DRT2A1 allele, the polymorphism that causes addictions. That's pretty impressive. The problem, and I know I'm yammering quickly again tonight, the problem in all addictions is relapse. The propensity towards relapse has psychological and spiritual and biochemical etiologies. Up until now, the vast majority of the treatment afforded the addict has leaned towards the psychological, spiritual side whereas the biochemical side has been treated suboptimally. And don't get me wrong, okay, in the 12-step programs and many of the treatment programs, uh, the spiritual and psychological is heavily relied upon. And if uh, you read the big book by Bill W., who, that's the, um, uh, the main book of Alcoholics Anonymous and NA and so forth, <clears throat> they talk about... Um, the addict trying to fill up this big, empty void 
with their substance du jour. And uh, we, of course, can never fill the void. So, you know, you continue to uh, engage into, into your, um, continue to engage in addictive behavior. What I think has been ignored to a large extent is what that void is, and it's usually turned to spiritual, but it's really, in my opinion, biochemical. And the reason I say that is because the biggest problem is white-knuckling or jonesing or the intense desire for whatever the substance or behavior is. And in my view, that is biochemical, and I've treated it before. There's ways of treating it. And when you can control the cravings, when you control the jonesing, okay, you can allow somebody who is, uh, you know, Obviously, I'm sorry, I don't want to use terms that, are, that have a lot of stigma, okay? Um, you can turn someone who has been white-knuckling and trying their very best to recover and give them the ability to recover because you're taking away that intense craving, okay? And they would have to at least consider the biochemical aspect of this. The known factors in something called the build-up to relapse is stress, depression, anger, anxiety, and cravings. Again, the challenge. Can the D2 receptor deficit be normalized with a natural D2 agonist and activate the dopaminergic reward pathway? In other words, can we take care of the reason for the cravings? Can you treat, can we treat anger, depression, anxiety, which are neurotransmitter imbalances, uh, neuroendoimmunology, uh, treating root causes and downstream effects. Can we treat stress? Combine psychological and physiological considerations. Now, those who have been following, following me for the past year or so with all the different podcasts know that with the exception of the very top one, this is, these are things we've been talking about all the time. Okay, so I'm actually bringing you just one new thing. So based on everything we talked about on the, in the last year of podcast, I'd say, you think? Okay, do you think it's possible? How do we go, how will we go about it? How will we go about treating the physiological portion of the addicted individual? Okay, and I'm saying this in a certain manner because I don't want those who have been engaging in successful recovery in AA, OA, NA, GSA, SLAA, and so forth, to think that I'm trying to displace what they're doing. What I'm proposing, what I would like people to think about, is those people who have difficulty with recovery. Some people take right to it, but a lot of people don't. A lot of, there's a lot of relapse, a lot of leaving and going back, and it all has to do with cravings, and it all has to do with this, you know, the various factors in relapse. And if we were able to ameliorate those factors, would somebody be able to attend to their recovery and be successful at it? In fact, when I treat addicts in my office, and I have several, okay, of those people who have addictive personalities who've been, they have to be in active recovery for me to treat them because I cannot be used as a psychological professional. And frankly, what I'm doing is only taking care of a part of the problem. Let's talk about the D2 receptor function. Uh, Dr. Blum created a type of amino acid compound called 
um, a nutraceutical neuroadaptogen. Okay, he called it at the time KB20Z, which is now marketed as something called synaptogenics. Okay, and it provides the only known evidence-based natural and effective dopamine agonist and it's been supported by numerous studies, which I have read. Okay, and it's also been proven with functional MRIs, QEEGs, brain mapping, and clinical evidence. Okay, on the bottom you see a little graph, which is I, I pulled off of a study that was from a 10-month outpatient recovery program for DUI offenders in San Francisco. Okay, they were forced to go into this program. The before utilizing the synaptogenics, the buildup to relapse scores, okay, are the green. That's stress, depression, anger, anxiety, drug craving. Okay, you can see they're fairly high. Okay, with the synaptogenics, okay, in the post testing is the yellow, and you can see how much less they are. Okay, and you know. I once took a course and had a lie with statistics, okay? And I went through these studies, and i got to tell you, these studies are for real, okay? These studies, this substance actually did, in fact, drop these scores in the percentage that you see. I took another study, uh, which is actually two studies that were about um, 17 years apart. Study number one, this is that black and purple page, on the left-hand side, um, where they did a control with uh, with cocaine addicts and alcohol addicts, and then they gave some gave them and gave them synaptogenics. The relapse scores for cocaine were up in the 87 area, where with the synaptogenics went down to 33. Uh, alcohol was up at 53%, whereas with the synaptogenics went down to 13. Okay, in the study, 17 years later, uh, again, alcohol, the control, and there's people who weren't, who just went through regular recovery, uh, had a relapse rate of 50%, and with the synaptogenics, it was only 7%, and heroin had a relapse rate of 70%, and with the synaptogenics, it was 0%. Now, granted, these are smaller studies, but there are, I wanted to pick up ones that had you could see real easily there are tons of other studies that were done with this particular substance, and the, it's called neuroadaptic uh, amino acid therapy. What are some of the other factors that can lead to anxiety, anger, depression, which is mood, and thereby uh, contribute to relapse? Well, low thyroid, undermethylation uh, neurotransmitter deficiencies, low um, blood sugar, digestive problems, receptor imbalances, we're talking about neurotransmitter imbalances, uh, essential fatty acid deficiencies, trace mineral deficiencies, heavy metal toxicities, viruses, bacteria, yeast, parasite, Lyme, autoimmune problems, immune, dis immune dysregulation, all the things that we've been talking about this past year that can change the neurotransmitter balances can lead to anxiety, anger, and depression, okay? If you go to the next page, always remember that moods are the expression of neurotransmitter imbalances in your brain. The neurotransmitter imbalances are created by the things we just talked about, okay? But once you have the neurotransmitter imbalances, you can see that there's going to be anxiety, there's going to be impulsivity, irritability, cognitive function problems, um, attention problems, uh, obsessive-compulsive obsessive problems, all based on 
norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, and so forth. Actually, your true happiness comes from serotonin and the dopamines. And I love this uh, this graphic because it's um, serotonin and the, dopamine, and the dopamines, the happiness tour. I think we should make a T-shirt out of it, actually. Leaky gut. Almost everybody's got a leaky gut. We've been talking about it for a long time now. Okay, that the leaky gut, no matter how you get it, you know, creates food allergy intolerance, immune system abnormalities, autoimmunity, things that can cause it, physical stress, infections, cytokines, which are immune problems, neurotransmitter imbalances, enzymes, dietary peptides, okay, loads of different things that when you breach the gut barrier, it's going to influence the blood-brain barrier, and barrier, you just heard my Brooklynese come out again, and neuroautoimmunity. So it's not just the dopamine, it's everything that the body has been stressed with. Let's not forget the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which runs our stress um, handling mechanism, and the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, and the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, remembering that when the adrenals go off, your thyroid and your sex hormones are going to go off. These axes that have the same base, the hypothalamus and the pituitary, I like to tell people, think of the body, think of all the processes in the body in a webby kind of fashion. They affect each other. And put them on a bicycle wheel, okay? The axle of the bicycle wheel is these axes or this axis, the HP, AHPT, HPG axis. And if they're running well, then that wheel is going to spin well. Okay, when these start going off, the wheel starts to wobble. And when one starts going off, then the other, then the other, oh, my gosh, okay? And if, you're ha- if you have the DRD2 gene already and you have dopamine imbalance, this is only going to make it worse. It's going to add to the stressors, the anxiety, the anger, the depression that continues the addictive behavior. We're taking everything that we've learned over the past year about chronic illnesses and applying it to addictions, and it fits perfectly. Okay, because it is just another set of stressors on the body. So, logic, and I won't tell you my logic joke. Um, I've told it to a lot of people, so other people can tell you. Okay, if we accept that addictions are a combination of the psychological and physiological, and we ignore the arguments of which came first, because right now they're both there, okay, and there's a lot of arguments of which came first, whether they exist or not, I think we can accept, or we should accept, that it's a psychological and physiological problem. Not one or the other, both. If we accept that there, are excellent, that there is excellent psychological support for the addicted person and that the physiological aspects of addiction have been treated suboptimally, not thoroughly ignored, but not very well treated, okay? If we accept that there's significant but not irreparable damage to the body, and that the root causes and downstream effects of that damage can be treated with a combined nutritional, nutrigenomic, neuroadaptogenic immunoassay therapy, targeted immunoassay therapy approach, or basically an alternative medicine approach, then if we ask the question, can the addictive person be cured, can the addictive propensity, uh, hmm, sorry, can the propensity towards addiction 
that is so prevalent be ameliorated. In the very least, I believe you can improve the condition greatly, and at the best, I say yes. I think that if you use a combined approach, you give an individual the best opportunity to recover from addictions. And there are a lot of recovered addicts out there, okay? But there's a lot of addicts who are suffering and white-knuckling. That is what the people I'm talking about. And let's face it, if you know more than three or four people in, in your space, you know an addict somewhere. Okay, so in recovery, the factors that uh, that will portend um, long-term recovery, self-confidence, okay, which I believe can be achieved through increasing length of sobriety and lack of cravings, the energy level, in other words, feeling good via balancing neurotransmitter and normalizing gut function, better absorption of nutrients and adrenal function, restraint from, you know, your addictive substances, from lack of craving and thereby better participation in recovery efforts and well-being from being successful. And, and you know, I hate to bring, I don't hate to bring it up because it's the truth. Okay, the problem not only with addictions is that if you just use restraint, okay, how many people who you know that are addicts switch addictions? Okay, um, in compulsive overeating, which a lot of people <laughs> kind of ostracize, uh those people have it the worst, okay, because if you're addicted to alcohol, you can put alcohol away, put the tiger in the cage, lock the cage, throw away the key. If you're a compulsive overeater, you've got to eat. So you're going to take the tiger out for a walk three times a day. So if you're white-knuckling, that tiger is going to bite you, okay? If, uh, you know, you're shopping, if you have a shopping addiction, you're going to get bit, okay? You're going to get bit if we don't take care of it not only the psychological, but the physiological cravings. Um, one of the things that we do in bioindividualized medicine is take genetics and integrative medicine, and by combining the knowledge of neuroendoimmunology, epigenetics and nutrigenomics, and mitochondrial dysfunction, cell wall integrity, uh, we, we are now trained practitioners, and they will be experienced in this area and have the capability of identifying and treating not only the root causes, of the dysfunction, but the tending to the downstream effects. In other words, treating both ends of the of the spectrum, not just not just treating symptoms, treating root causes and downstream effects. People say, "What is your protocol?" So on the little, on the bottom, if you'll notice that in my office, Sean will uh, tell you this because I've yelled at people about this. Okay, protocol is a four-letter word in my office. We practice individualized medicine, which is something that. I hope we start spreading around the whole world because this is what everybody needs, okay, is a doctor to sit down and listen and do what they have been trained to do, okay? So how do we help the addict the same kind, the same way we help every other chronic people? My mouth is not working tonight. I'm so sorry. The same way we help other people with chronic illnesses. History and appropriate testing to discover the root causes and downstream effects of each individual, developing an individualized treatment plan that may include intravenous nutritional therapy, uh, which we've done before with high dose of vitamin D, NAD, um, amino acids, and there's been a very high degree of success in this particular arena. 
targeted amino acid therapy, neuroadaptive, neuroadaptive amino acid therapy, neurotransmitter balancing to balance mood naturally, GI repair to downregulate the immune response, and basically treating each person's needs individually. Um, and as a last thing, if anybody needs to contact us for a consult, um, I can be reached at um, drjessarmine.com, and my telephone number is there, or you can email me. Sean can be reached, and there's the number there, his number, 484-868-0916, or you can fill out the contact form at uh, bioindividualmed.com. Cynthia Smith, who also does this type of work, her email is there and can be reached at the phone number indicated. And I realize a lot of the stuff I said tonight was on the controversial side, okay? And I know that, um, you know, some people are going to want to yell at me. I've already had people yell at me on the, on my blog, but that's okay. They can do that, okay? You can scream at me as much as you like. So it is now open for questions. Um, if you're on the um, chat, please type in a question. If you'd like to call in, uh, the number is 646 646- Five nine five two two seven seven. I have somebody holding on here, so let's see if they have a question. Nice person in the three four seven area code. Are you there? Hello. Guess not. Okay. So, is there anybody out there who has a particular question? that they would like to ask about addictions, how addictions can be treated from the bio, biophysiologic point of view. Um, I hear you thinking out there. I can smell the smoke burning. I can hear the wheels grinding. Yeah, it's interesting because when we've uh, when I've attended lectures on on addictions and they talk about the psychological aspects and they talk about the effects on um, the rest of the family and so forth, um, you know, there's usually a big long line for the speaker afterwards because uh, a lot of families have um, experienced addictions and experienced um, the the fallout, if you will. Okay, this is just another aspect of treatment. And a fairly powerful one because this is the the craving, the jonesing. This is the reason for relapse. Okay, and what I'm positing or proposing is that everything we've been talking about is the reason for the jonesing, just applied to addictions. So why is somebody jonesing for alcohol? Well, they're usually jonesing for GABA, okay, because alcohol raises GABA. And if their nervous system is on fire, you know, and they're drinking for a short period of time, okay, the GABA will make you feel better. And unfortunately, it only lasts a short period of time. Um, Marijuana raises GABA and raises dopamine. And for some people, both is important. Various drugs um, will raise various neurotransmitters transmitters. Okay, and when you listen to what somebody is taking and how they feel, okay, you can tell what the neurotransmitter imbalance is. Um things like um gambling and 
you know, it's the adrenal rush, okay, and the dopamine reward, okay, and that's where Dr. Blum points out the dopamine or the lack of dopamine uh, receptor function. And he created a uh, substance that will help normalize the dopamine function, okay, whether it happens to be receptor function or not enough dopamine that we can always argue about the particulars of it, but it, we're talking about dopamine function. And I will tell you that I've used his substances and a few others, and it is possible, it is not only possible, it's probable to return dopamine function back to normal. I'm hoping people are out there. Okay, I hope somebody calls in and uh, asks a question because I'm kind of out of stuff to talk about. That's my problem is I kind of go through these things really, really fast. So there is Q&A time, and because I tend to talk fast when I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> okay, anybody else? Any, anybody else? Anybody have any questions out there? Anybody in the chat room? Okay, I'd like to ask a question. Are you guys there? Hmm. No, while we're waiting for a um, while we're waiting for a question, uh, let me tell you about the seminar that's going to be in mid-January uh, in Philadelphia, and it's going to be uh, from mabim.org for methylation and bioindividualized medicine. We're going to be teaching the core uh, course in the knowledge um, of methylation and bioindividualized medicine, as we said before. Uh, we're going to be teaching genetics, uh, neuroendoimmunology, GI function. I'll be teaching the neuropsychiatric portion. Uh, Sean will be teaching the um, all the hormones and so forth. And we're going to be having a, a fairly large um, Q&A and uh, session uh, where we're going to be uh, presenting cases um, that we've worked on. Uh, we have, we are in the process and have almost achieved. Uh, uh, continuing, medi continuing medical education credits for the doctors out there and CEUs for the nurses and other other uh, health professionals. We are now working on, and I'm not supposed to say this, but I'll get in trouble anyway. I get in trouble all the time. Okay, we're trying to work on uh, doing a live lit video feed. So because it is January and it is cold in Philadelphia and it's kind of expensive to have to fly in and stay at a hotel and so forth. So we're trying to um, work on a live video feed. So anybody wanting to attend the seminar, and this is a health professional and lay people alike, uh, will be able to attend the seminar um, from their the comfort of their home on their computer. And uh, also uh, those people who do want continuing education credits can also get continuing education credits. Uh, again, we're working on that. We just started working on that today. Hopefully within a couple of days we'll be able to make that announcement. Um, and I'm doing a lot of ums because I don't know what else to say. Okay, and uh, so anyway, the seminar is coming along wonderfully. Um, and uh, it would be, we'll also be recording it, and it will be available for sale afterwards. Um, if you want to know more about the seminar and start uh, learning about, you know, where we'll be going as the year goes on, or next year goes on, uh, we're going to be going to uh, Britain. We'll be going to Australia. Uh, we'll be uh, doing the seminar around the United States. Um, we have a possibility of going to Denmark presently. 
it turns out a lot of people around the world want to learn this stuff. Okay, and I think I'm going to have to regale them with my uh, corny humor. But uh, hopefully that's not the only reason they want a seminar, because I guess they can get my jokes anywhere. But I'm beginning to get a little bit of a complex here. There's, there's no questions. And um, I'm hoping somebody has a question. Otherwise, I don't know. Um, ah, a question. Is a is urine testing a good way to test neurotransmitters? <clears throat> well, absolutely yes. Okay, I use it all the time. The argument with uh, urinary neurotransmitter testing is as follows: uh, one, they uh, the argument the they will tell you that uh, hey, this is not how do you know this is from the central nervous system or not? Uh, and um, the fact is, it's a combination of what's in the peripheral and central nervous system. And if you take a blood test, you're going to get the same results because that's, in the serum, that's a combination of what's in the peripheral nervous system and what's in the central nervous system. So how do you make judgments on uh, neuropsychiatric problems or anything when you're looking at urinary neurotransmitter testing? Um, the same way the realtors yell location, 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 <clears throat> I yell history, history, history. And if you combine the pattern of what you see, not necessarily the numbers, but the pattern of what you see, okay, with the person's history, you'll know what's going on, okay, and you'll be able to help them quicker because the pattern tells you what intervention works the best, okay? People have uh, complained in um, psychiatric treatment that the doctor is guessing, you know, you walk in with depression, so they throw Prozac at you, they throw Zoloft at you, they throw Lexapro at you, and they keep tr throwing different serotonin reuptake inhibitors to raise serotonin and say, well, after a little while, three, four months, it's not working. Let's give you Welbutrin. Welbutrin raises norepinephrine and dopamine. Okay, and, um, you know, they will keep upping that or using different variations uh, until hopefully they hit the right nail on the head okay, and uh, you start feeling better. Now, these are these are not stupid people. Remember, psychiatrists are psychopharmacologists. These people are very, very smart, okay? My point is, is that if you did neurotransmitter testing and you saw that the serotonin was normal and the epinephrine, uh, sorry, the norepinephrine and dopamine were low, you'd start with, with um, Wellbutrin. Uh, I have a... Um, patient who went to see a psychiatrist who complained of uh, depression and uh, what the symptoms were ADD. So the psychiatrist put him on Prozac, uh, Wellbutrin, and Concerta, all at the same time. Okay, and guess what? Uh, he was walking around like Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, just kind of, whoa. I did a neurotransmitter test prior to him going. Uh, the, the psychiatrist didn't believe in them. Uh, he ceased going, and but ended up going back to this this professional about a year later. And I wrote, and I wrote a letter saying, "Look, I know you don't believe what a, what these tests say, but can I just ask you to start with one substance? And the most you know the most reasonable thing would be a serotonin reuptake inhibitor because that's the lowest thing." I said, "You know, I'm not trying to tell you how to practice, but um, you know, maybe just one thing at a time. Just see." Well, she gave the Kid, kid, he was like 18 at the time, 10 milligrams of Prozac. We're talking 10, not 20, the usual 10. And within three days, he started feeling better. It turned out that's all I needed. Okay? And 
I'm not anti-medicine. Okay, I've had arguments with uh, groups who are anti-medicine, and I'm like, you know, I am anti the injudicious use of medicines. Okay, I'm and I'm anti the injudicious use of almost anything. Okay, using things without any knowledge, but especially medications because they're damn powerful, and they have a uh, you know a different effect. They're working on the uh, in the synapse, which is um, you know, but in the hands of a good uh, psychopharmacologist who um, maybe does reasonable testing that you can find out what the neurotransmitter balance is. You know, you can shorten the distance between two points and learning what is necessary to get somebody's mood better, okay, with the use of the urinary neurotransmitter test. Uh, is it the panacea and the end-all and the know-all? No. Uh, does it tell you an awful lot of things? Yeah. Okay, especially you know how to read them. It can tell you whether there's an immune problem. It can tell you a whole mess of different things. And um, one of my nicknames is the neurotransmitter whisperer because I've been reading so many of these tests. I could look at the test, take your history, and kind of tell you at which way your neurotransmitters are going up or down, where they've been, where they're going. Okay, and kind of tell you the whole life history by just looking at the test. Um, but anyway, any other questions? Hopefully about addictions. Okay. Anyway, we are going to be having a big lineup of very, very um, high-placed and intelligent people uh, over the next several weeks. Uh, Sterling Hill has um, obtained, um, she kind of took over and, you know, since I don't really have the time to to chase after certain people, uh, she was kind enough, and Isfahan and, and a lot of other people, to do a lineup of um, guests that um, I think you're going to be impressed with. So keep an eye on the blogs, because we'll be announcing uh, each um, each guest as, uh, you know, in plenty of time for you to tune in, and what the area is on. Um, and there's going to be guests on Pandas, on LDN, on... Uh, oxalates and you know all experts in their field that have been uh, kind enough to give us their time. So, um, gee, I will uh, make sure that you guys know about it. You know, oh, there's somebody over here with a question. I hope. And a nice person in the five one seven area code. Are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, well. um, thank you for calling and asking a question. I was I was getting oh. I was getting a uh, complex here. <laughs> <laughs> glad glad I got through. Um, I have a question. I am 47 years old and I have had a, a history of food addiction and it seems to follow a hormonal pattern. Um, for two weeks, I'm fine. I can deal with foods you know, normally, and then it seems the hormones dip and I eat everything in sight and I can't stop eating. And I don't know, I'm really frustrated. This I don't blame you. This seemingly gone on for half of my life. And which uh, which two weeks are we talking about that you eat? Um, well, after, like, the, the day my cycle starts, everything goes back to normal and I'm, I'm not having any food issues as far as wanting to eat constantly. And then two weeks... I guess it would coincide with ovulation, 
I want to eat mm-hmm. everything in sight from morning until night. And I've looked into the uh, amino acid um, issue a little bit, but I also have, um, I'm very sensitive to taking any kind of supplements. I get really bad uh, allergic reactions to things. Um, so I'm thinking I have like a salicylate sensitivity. Um, any kind of herbal products really, I have a really bad reaction to. So I'm not sure what to do. Okay. Well, in the first part of your period, uh, the first two weeks, you're more estrogen dominant. Okay, then you are progesterone dominant, obviously. Okay, mm-hmm. and then once you ovulate, um, the corpus luteum uh, produces um, a lot of progesterone. Okay, in order to create the bed for implantation, should uh, the egg be fertilized. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, you're having problems in the progesterone area. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, estrogen and serotonin are kissing cousins. And progesterone and GABA are kissing cousins, okay? Okay. And um, probably what's happening with you is either estrogen dominance, okay, Mm -hmm. which you can see genetically, and, you know, you're having a shift towards the estrogens rather than the progesterone. You may be having Mm -hmm. a GABA deficit, okay, a neurotransmitter, you know, a GABA deficit. And Mm -hmm. um, when you eat... uh, Classically, when you eat, you're 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 you know looking for a blast of serotonin. So, okay. without without any testing, it's either a GABA or serotonin problem. Uh, okay. Why is it like that? It could be because of the estrogen dominance that you know it's the estrogen um, serotonin relationship is uh, kind of falling off in the second two weeks of your period and you're looking for uh, serotonin, you may be looking for GABA. Uh, it's it's tough to tell without testing, but this is something that if you can identify the cycling, where what's happening, you can identify basically what's wrong and mm-hmm. start looking at the possibilities of fixing it. Okay? Uh, okay. This is where some of the, uh, the neurotransmitter testing comes in. Uh, some of the hormonal testing we talked about a couple of shows ago is perfect you know, in that area because you can see exactly what the whole downstream effect is, okay? What I will tell mm-hmm. you, and from my heart of hearts, is what you've just told me is eminently fixable. Okay. okay there's there's no question. And I've, I've treated ladies uh, like this before, and, you know, it's a variant, if you will, of almost like PMS, you know, where mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a major, oh, sure. you know, imbalance <laughs> that's, that's hitting that's hitting the nervous right. system, okay? And you're eating because eating is a form of pica, okay? Mm-hmm. Compulsive yeah. eating is when you're looking for something. Uh, yep. The reason a, a kid will eat dirt is because they're looking for trace minerals. When mm-hmm. somebody compulsively overeats, if you, if you listen to what they're eating, okay, you can see what the body wants. So it may be a little bit more complex than what I'm saying, but it mm-hmm. would be worth uh, a real good look-see because uh, you don't have to live like that. And it, I can see where it can be annoying. You can put on a lot of weight. You can, yeah, I've um, put on a lot of weight the last several months, and it's been very mm-hmm. frustrating because I can't control it for more than two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. And I've determined for two weeks that I do great, and then it's like this thing takes over my body, and I don't even care what I'm eating. I just have to keep eating, and it's just... It's I, I all truly, I understand. My brain. <laughs> you know that that's you know, and of course, from the from a psychological push, and they would say, "Well, that's an addiction." Well, 
right. people don't have it. No offense, but people don't have addictions two weeks a month. <laughs> they have it all the time. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so if I were going to lean, I'd say, boy, is that physiological? Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And I don't mean I'm so not laughing you at you. What would you recommend as far as testing? Is what would be the first? Well, step uh, unfortunately, on, on a radio show, I can't prescribe things. I can't say, hey, go do this because okay. then I'm treating you. I do right. know that the pro- that the the professionals that I mentioned at the end of the show. Uh, often we'll do 15-minute um, uh, get-acquainted-type sessions where you can ask questions, see if you're a good fit, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, uh, and, and then you know decide whether you want to treat with them because when you uh, when you start saying, okay, what testing are we going to do? If I said do this testing, then you know I, I become responsible for you spending money, and then I have you know mm-hmm. have to interpret the test. And frankly, you shouldn't be interpreting tests on your own. You have to work with right. somebody, you know. So uh, I, I will say a that. Question about amino acids and where where are they sourced from? Because I have, a, like I said, I have an allergic reaction uh, to a lot of herbal things, and I, I'm just not sure where amino acids are grown or well, how they're acids, sourced. <laughs> your question is well taken. Uh, amino acids are usually chemically derived. Okay, and uh, they're a little easier to work with than herbals because they generally don't have um, they generally don't have the antigens that are associated with herbal products. Okay. Herbs are not are not benign, by the way. Herbs, remember, no, are really powerful things. Okay. Yes, they are. <laughs> and if you're trying to um, get serotonin out of an herb, good luck. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of amino acids are are chemically derived and. Um, there's some that are naturally derived, like Dima, from Dimacuna and some other places. And you know, it's a matter of knowing what you react to and you know what the sources are, you know, so that you know what to tell your patient to get. Given in individual, that's why I talk about individualized care. You know, any monkey can follow a protocol, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't like protocols. Protocols are for the masses. And that's fine, right. but I, the people that I treat are literally the people who have been here, there, up, down, sideways, can't find answers, and the normal stuff doesn't work with them, okay? That is mm-hmm. who I treat, and I treat people worldwide, okay? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I start my day in, in England, Scotland, you know, and I get, have to get through these damn accents all the time. It's very tough. <laughs> you know, you're in Germany, I'm like, what, 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 what? And they give you, they give you tests in German, I'm like, thank you. Yeah, it's like the Italian patients. I'm like, thanks. I have an Italian test in front of me. Isn't this nice? You know? Okay, and I'm like, hmm, that says globuli rossi. That must be circle red. That must be red blood cell. Okay, globuli. <laughs> I'm like Bianchi's. Wait, 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 wait. Bianchi's white wine, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> white circles must be white blood cells. You know, fortunately they're in the same pattern. <laughs> And I, I know there's, you know, I can see the, the Latin base, but the German ones are a lot of fun, you know? Right. And then, you know, if you talk to anybody in Britain, you know, this is, you know, us in Britain are just, you know, two people separated by, by a common language, you know, because I'm like, and then right. in Australia and Britain, they use the same colloquialisms, but they mean different things. So I've got exactly. a little sign above me that says, you're not allowed to use local colloquialisms. <laughs> I said, look up and find out what the heck you're talking about. You know, <laughs> really. Uh, but, um you know, it's uh, it's a matter of uh, knowing uh, what somebody needs, uh, and then working with them individually um, to where you're going to source whatever it is they're looking for. Sometimes it's a matter of fix, fixing a leaky gut before you do something, because they're reacting so badly to everything. 
Uh, right. That's where the art of what you do and the experience. You know, I've been a healthcare provider for 38 years. I always tell mm-hmm. my patients, if I if I sound nervous about something, it's time for you to jump out the window. <laughs> so right. it's like, yeah, well, but I, nevertheless. I went through it, the, the ringer with um, just different allergic reactions to basically everything, and, and I've done a lot of research on my own, and I've kind of narrowed it down to um, salicylates, and well, which is good. herbal and in nature, and it's also in, um, you know, supplements as far as like mm-hmm. the uh, cellulose fillers and microcrystalline right. cellulose and so it's really frustrating because that's in everything. So, so what is the what is the causation of being allergic to everything, do you think? Well, it it is I'm sure related to leaky gut, but then it how do I treat leaky, leaky gut because it is, it is leaky I can't gut. I can't handle any probiotics. Because I've tried those and I have reactions. Ah, but I you mean, know really something. Severe reactions. All right, I give you a little hint. All right, okay. you go to my podcast on leaky gut, right? And it okay. says the reason I made that podcast was because so many people have leaky gut, and I was tired of explaining. No, <laughs> no, it's because so many people were asking the proper way. Uh, now, you don't. If you react to one to some things, you don't have to take everything at once because they list stuff mm. there that you can uh, that you can use. You know, you try one thing at a time. You know, mm-hmm. now some people would work with the fibers, you know, or mm-hmm. slippery elm, that kind of stuff. They may not be on that, so they may work with liposomal vitamin C or just, you know, one of the uh, phospholipids, you know, mm-hmm. and start. Relaxing that you know, started healing their system that way. Sometimes you don't use the probiotics if you reacted them till later, you know, mm-hmm. because you can't. But it's also sourcing the the like the liposomal vitamin C. I've looked into that before, and it's the it's not the vitamin C necessarily. It's the ingredients that come along with that that I'm having allergic reactions to. So that's and that's why you need to work with somebody. You can make it on your own. Okay, mm-hmm. there's formulas you can make on your own that you can control the ingredients. You mm-hmm. know, what I'm tr- what I'm trying to tell you, dear, is is that your your case is not impossible. Okay. Would it take work? Oh yeah. Okay, but yep. that's what we do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why people like us our first consults are like two hours long. Okay, right. because it takes thinking. You can't just throw a protocol on paper and say, "Here you go, follow that paper." Right. You just can't be done with everybody. And right. we get the people who nothing else works with and we're successful with it because when I say we, I mean people like myself, you know, with you know, been trained like we are. Guess what? Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of sitting down and going, okay, let's take this one thing at a time and mm-hmm. we're going to make this work. A little breaking and pedaling and stuff like that, and we usually get it to work. Okay, not, there's no, there's, if you're alive, you're not allergic to everything. Okay, right. and you're fixable. Okay, as long as you take breath, you know God made your body to fix itself. Okay, now all we have to right. do is find out what's blocking it. <laughs> yep. Well, I wish okay, there were more doctors like you. There aren't enough like you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You take well, care. Thanks agree. for calling. Bye bye. Bye bye. Nice person in the seven one seven area code. Are you there? Hello. Uh, yeah. Hi. Are you talking to me? I guess so. This is oh, Dr. Armani. Can I, I help you? 
I didn't press one, but I called in thinking I might. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I, I might. I more than might, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I had, yeah. I was just kind of curious. I was looking up the um, the synapses Gen X that you were yeah. talking about, and um, I was looking at the ingredients, and one of the things I saw in there was L-glutamine. And they have. Uh, I was, go ahead. Uh, yeah, and um, I, see, I see your question on the chat here. Okay. Right. Is that a contraindication in someone who ever produces no. glutamate? All right. Well, um, I'm glad you asked the question. Synaptogenics, uh, just to to, to uh, digress for a moment, is uh, is a liposomal form, um, which is why it's so damn expensive. By the way, uh, yeah. they, um, it's a dry liposome, which um, Bill Downs, the guy who's uh, who's the, um, uh, the nutritional biochemist who works with it, says like fifty dollars a bottle is just for the form that it's in. Well, and there's a reason why it's like this. Okay, and I'll tell you in a sec. Uh, and in there, uh, it's it has a lot of the excitatory neurotransmitters uh, as most like uh, D-L-phenylalanine, tyrosine, uh, glutamine, uh, and then they have some 5-hydroxytryptophan and so forth. Yeah, <clears throat> yep. And uh, the reason that it's in a liposomal form is because when they did the original studies, the liposomal forms, as sure as that it gets absorbed, immediately, and you get a brain level very quickly. So when they did um, studies, they would feed the synaptogenics or KB220Z to rats and euthanize them like in five minutes, you know, and would take, uh, you know, and take levels in their brains and find out that within five to seven minutes, they got full levels of these substances in their brain. Why is that important? Um, it turns out that if you can change the milieu, the environment in the um, uh, cerebral spinal fluid in the brain, you can change the function of what's going on with the neurons, with the receptors, and so forth. I cross-checked that with um, a Ph.D. in pharmacology who was the uh, R&D director of a, of a um, research organization, um, and I'm not allowed to mention a lot of names, and um, and I asked her, and because uh, it's somebody I trust very, very, very much, if this were possible, she said, "Oh yeah, we do it in the lab all the time." Well, you know, somebody's got something like that. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that you know this is why synaptogenics works so very well. But you you have to realize that uh, if somebody has a propensity to turn glutamine into glutamate, which has to do with intestinal dysbiosis, by the way. Uh, and um, that's where I see that glutamine becomes glutamate and not so much GABA. Okay, then they're going to have a negative reaction with the synaptogenics. Uh, synaptogenics is not a benign product, okay, and I've argued with uh, the creators of it, uh, but they're, of course, so, so very, uh, and, you know, the, and, and should be impressed with their product, but there's some people who cannot take that until they get their guts fixed and get their inhibitory neurotransmitters higher up so that they can counterbalance the excitation that the synaptogenics engenders, okay? It isn't everybody, right. okay? But that would if be you me. already... Would, it would definitely my, be my, in my case, yeah, because I have um, lower levels of the inhibitory and higher levels of the excitatory. So you already know here now from what I just said that, you know, your order of treatment there would be to, to fix your gut, and mm -hmm. take care of whatever dysbiosis is there, and trust me, there's dysbiosis there. 
okay, right. and uh, work okay. on the you know neurotransmitter testing would tell you you know what levels of inhibitories need to be worked on, and you can utilize you know the appropriate uh, substances to do that. And this is why it's important to work with someone because there's a lot of things in a history that you have to you have to work with. And as you as you fix the gut so that the glutamine is pro- you know the regular glutamine is properly utilized, and you go after whatever the dysbiosis is so they're not you know pushing it in a certain direction, then you don't not producing so much glutamate. And if you're not producing a lot of glutamate, then you can uh, use synaptogenics if there's and if it's not a severe, if you're not treating an addictive problem and you're just treating a neurotransmitter problem, synaptogenics isn't the first place I'd go because of the price. Well, it's an addictive problem as well. Okay. You know, yeah. it's not, uh, It's not. it may be a staged treatment, but a lot of times I've had, I've had addicts sitting in front of me shaking, and I will give them, you know, a phenylated GABA like a phenotropic or a cavernase, and within... 15 minutes there, hi, thank you, I needed that. You know, I've had severe anxiety cases in front of me and, and give them a little bit of phenylated GABA, uh, and um, that's what their body is looking for, okay? And that's the reason they were taking whatever they were taking. So what I'm doing is replacing that until I can fix somebody. And by the way, people out there listening, and listen hard, okay? I'm not yelling at you, dear, okay? Everybody looks at <laughs> everybody looks at phenobut or phenobut and and yells at me and says that we shouldn't be using that because it has it has bad effects. Yes, it does because the regular phenobut out there or phenobut is beta phenyl gamma aminobutyric acid. Phenotropic and cavanase are the only two people on the planet that make a phenylated GABA, a phenobut or phenobut that is a four amino three phenylbutyric acid which works wonderfully. And I've used it for years, decade almost, okay, without incident, okay? So if you're going to be using a phenylated GABA, okay, get the correct one. Otherwise, you can compound your problems, okay? And, and which one reason, was that that you would mention? Uh, there's two of them, phenotropic and there's one called cavanase. Uh, one's made by the Neuroscience Corporation. The other one's made by um, Biotics. Uh, the Biotics one is uh, about half the price. Uh, the reason they use a phenylated GABA rather than going down and getting the regular GABA thing is, oh, I've got GABA here, is it because it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. Barrier, yeah. You know, and if it does, if you do feel good with the regular GABAs, that's evidence that you have a leaky gut blood-brain barrier, okay? That has to be fixed anyway. But if you mm. use the phenylated GABA, as I mentioned, and sometimes you have to use two or three at a time, you can't overdose on it, okay? It's giving you GABA. Um, medicines like uh, benzodiazepines, um, Valium, Ativan, and so forth, they are um, GABAergic agents, which means that they agonize or turn on. They stimulate the GABA receptors to release GABA. You ain't got GABA, you ain't got GABA, it doesn't matter how much you try and release it, okay? Uh, if you give somebody GABA, okay, you're, you're giving them what their body wants without messing with the uh, receptors all that much. And uh, guess what? You know, you have now a tool that can control a lot of anxiety, anger, depression, yada, 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 while you're fixing the person. Now, there is no, there's a Band-Aid, obviously. There is no dishonor in using a Band-Aid if you try and stop the bleeding, okay, if you try and correct the problem. The dishonor Mm -hmm. occurs 
when people are using the Band-Aids as a sole source of treatment. And that's what we run into anymore, is people are using medications as a sole source of treatment. You know, an SSRI raises serotonin by blocking some of the reuptake at the, re- at the receptor site. Bottom line is it doesn't take care of the reason your serotonin is low. So eventually there's simply not enough serotonin to reuptake, and guess what? You know, as we would say in Brooklyn, well, guts. You know, nothing's going to happen. It doesn't matter how much you reuptake. It's simply not going to work. That's why those medicines fail. But if you treat mm-hmm. it from both ends, if you treat, if you utilize the medication while you're fixing the body, okay, giving it what it needs, and then withdraw the medication under medical supervision, of course, okay, then all of a sudden your body works the way it's supposed to. Okay, simple right. example. You, you want you want to go to sleep, right? You need melatonin to get to sleep, and you need serotonin and GABA to stay asleep. So. People take melatonin like it's going out of style, and that lets them sleep for about an hour, hour and a half. Okay, but guess what? They don't have enough serotonin and GABA. If you take the precursor to serotonin, okay, and you create serotonin, serotonin creates melatonin. Okay, if you have enough serotonin, you'll have enough melatonin. And if you fix your gut and part of your diet is glutamine, you'll have enough GABA because your body will create it the way it's supposed to. Okay, and I almost sound like I'm talking so simplistically, but I just can't understand why most of the healthcare providers out there aren't sitting there and saying, you know, why don't we fix up the gut a little bit here? <laughs> you know, why don't we give this person what they need, uh, you know, so that they can achieve some homeostasis and their system can rest so they're not constantly going through fight or flight reactions? And then we'll back, you know, and as, we'll, as we're doing that, we'll fix everything else, you know. It, almost seems like a foreign concept to a lot of people. Did I answer your question? I'm sorry, I babbled. Oh, no, it was wonderful. I loved hearing all of it. Thank you so much. Is there anything else I can uh, answer for you? That's um, Yes, a really great question. Yeah, um, no, I really appreciate it. Good answer, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So, I'm, I'm gonna, so if you can think about my, it. I just got my, my 23andMe done, so I'm, I'm still shaky on some, what some of my results are going to be, but um, I know that the uh, you know the overproduction of the glutamate is going on, and I, I know there's been leaky gut going on, so I'm still okay. putting some, some pieces together. Okay. Uh, and remember, with the, okay. with the 23andMe, you run it through a good app, like Sterling's app, okay, and this way you get a good reading of the polymorphisms, okay? And when you go to interpret it, interpret it with someone, work with someone, okay? It's this is very tough to do on your own, okay? Mm-hmm. It may yeah. come out to, you know, let's just fix the gut first and do that. And, you know, I've got plenty of podcasts you're welcome to. I mean, I give advice like crazy, okay? Right. Uh, but realize that it's generalized. If you go to Ben Lynch's site, you know, and Ben Lynch is a good friend of mine. You'll see a lot of protocols, okay? You have to realize they're not for everybody. You call Ben Lynch up, if you, assuming you can get him on the phone. Okay, he'll say it's not for everybody, okay? <laughs> He's just writing for the masses because individuals it may not work well with, okay? And it's not because he's wrong. It's because we're individuals, okay? So if you're, um, you know, if you, you know, if you decide to treat yourself, which is not a bad thing, and you start running into walls, remember that there's people out there who are willing to put it to, to help you put it together, okay? And um, okay. there's not a panacea. There's not one thing that's a panacea. Just not. It just there isn't. 
There just isn't. Mm-hmm. It's not. The body is simply intricate and intricately simple. Okay, and you have to respect that. And when you run, when you're looking at yourself, you say, "Okay, I finally hit a wall. I don't know what I'm doing from here at this point forward." Then you know you're going to heal. Okay. In the meantime, go with your best evidence. Okay, and your and your good intuition. Right. Okay. Yeah, the one question I had, and I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks now, um, was um, Sterling, Sterling Zappa. I mean, I've been out on the Internet and been able to find the things like Genetic Genie and whatever, mm-hmm. Prometheus is the other one, I think, but I didn't know mm-hmm. where to find Sterling Zapp. Go to mthfrsupport.com, okay, and you'll see there'll be a, a button there that says Sterling Zapp. Oh, okay, great. That's wonderful. There'll be instructions on how to download the 23andMe raw data and how to apply it. Most of the better apps out there cost about $20, which if you think about it is is reasonable given the um you know, what went into putting, you know, putting it together. Right. I personally don't like apps that give you nutritional advice. There are a couple out there that'll say, "Hey, you've got this, take that." That's mm-hmm. playing with fire. Okay, um, but Sterling's also coming up with a version 2 of her app that's going to be even better, but I understand that um, people who have her app, you know, may get a special price. I'm not exactly sure if they end up redoing it because they want to see what the new app will tell them. Um, your genes are only a, only a part of who you are. Right. Yeah, right. I, I heard you say about treating the body, <laughs> not not the okay. yes, um, not the mutations, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you understand that, and I'm glad you said it that way, you understand mm-hmm. that, you'll be safe and you'll be healthy, and you right. won't fall for. There are some charlatans out there who are just treating the um, polymorphisms to the tune of three to six hundred dollars a month in product. <laughs> I'm like, get out of here! Right. Smack them. Yeah. You know. That's crazy because nobody can comply with that. It's it's too much. Uh, you'd be surprised, and the you'd be surprised. You know, but what the sad thing about it is, they still don't get better. Mm. You know, and that's what I find inimicable. But then again, I'm Sicilian from Brooklyn, so I'm very <laughs> excitable to begin with. <laughs> I have been told that. <laughs> You know, so it's just me. It's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> I get in trouble anyway, so it's not a big deal. You know, is there anything else I could answer for you? No, thank you. Really appreciate your help. All right. Well, you take care. Hope to hear from you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. There's a question on the chat. It says, what is the website you mentioned to download the app? Okay, the website is mthfrsupport.com. Okay, I just typed it. Oop, there it is. I'm going to type it in for that person. M-T-H-F-R support, U-P-P-O-R-T, dot com. If you go there, you'll see um, it's it's a really nice, really nice uh, website. And you'll see Sterling's app. You'll be on the top, you know, um, I'll say 23andMe Sterling's app. You click that. There'll be instructions on how to download from 23andMe your raw data because that's what has to be put into uh, the application, any application, you know, that you use uh, takes its information from the raw data 
what it does is it goes through the raw data, which I think is about between 250 and 500,000 genes, and looks for polymorphisms. And I'm not a computer geek, so don't ask me how it does it. Okay, <laughs> and then it, it prints it all out and gives it to me, and, I'm, and what we do is, is look at it, and in our heads or on paper, you know, put it into the biochemical pathways, and then uh, determine with individuals um, by asking questions and looking at history and looking at lab tests and so forth, which biochemical pathways are working or not working, which genes are, ex which genetic polymorphisms are expressing, or sometimes it has predictive values where you can look and say, hmm, you know, this particular pathway isn't going to handle too much stress, okay? So if I have a, um, a child or a mother and father, sometimes I can take a mother and father, you know, and they're wondering how their baby is going to be, put their genetic test together and come up with some generalizations on what's going to happen with the baby. If, if both of you have uh, homozygous COMT, that baby is going to have homozygous COMT. If one of you have uh, heterozygous uh, homozygous COMT and the other one doesn't, the baby has a, like a 50% chance of having heterozygous COMT. You know, and you can do that with a lot of, you know, so you can make some generalizations like that. So sometimes you can extrapolate backwards, sometimes you can extrapolate forward, but you always use history, always history, history, history. If your doctor, healthcare provider does not sit there and take a very good history with you, uh, not making you fill out the forms, you know, 37 pages later, and they're looking at the forms with a big smile on their face, you know, uh, but not sitting there with a blank piece of paper and writing and talking with you and asking pertinent questions, then you haven't had a good examination, okay? Uh, and believe me, history will tell you. If you listen to your patient, they will tell you what is wrong. It's a quarter after nine. Does anybody have any other questions? Thank you for those people who called in and did ask questions because, uh, like I said, it was beginning to get complex. Addictions is a big subject. And, um, you know, I think that um, the biological portion is the bigger of the subject. So if there are no more questions, I guess I will end the show. Uh, keep attuned because over the next several weeks we're going to have a lot of great guests and I get to interview okay which means you won't have to listen to me babble all you have to do is listen to me ask questions and um, keep an eye on uh, mabim.org um, we are the seminar is almost put together it's doing good anybody who is interested in the seminar or learning uh, that's where you'll go to get the information if your healthcare providers, you've been telling them, hey, you got to learn this stuff, you know, uh, this is where they learn it, okay, because that's why we decided to teach it, you know. And I guess if there are no other questions, I will say goodnight. Guys, thanks a lot for uh, hanging out with me and listening to my, uh, my ravings, okay. Um, I truly believe uh, if you have friends who are addicted, and um, they're in recovery and they're and they're struggling. Okay, uh, consider the biochemical option. Okay, and not by itself. It has to be done together with the psychological or the recovery portion. It has to be done together. But but it's been my experience and my great belief that when you take care of both, 
you give that person the best opportunity to recover and live a life. Because being an addict, an alcoholic, a drug addict, being addicted to anything, having this thing control you and not you controlling it is a tough way to live. Okay? Um, so that's my, in my heart, that is um, why I did this show. And my belief system is, as I've said. So I guess I will see you all hopefully next week, huh? All righty. You guys have a nice nice week and Thanksgiving's not till next it's almost Thanksgiving oh my god yes ah wow anyway you guys have a good night thank you so much it's been a long road getting from there to here it's been a long time but my time is finally here I can feel the change Nothing's in my way And I'm not gonna hold me down no more No, they're not gonna hold me down Cause I've got faith of the heart You know, I love this song That's why I use it as a uh, theme song uh, Because people with chronic illnesses And people with addiction You know, are some of the strongest people I know And keep going down, getting back up Falling down, getting back up. And um, a successful person will eventually be able to walk. You know, my job as a healthcare provider is to facilitate that, to facilitate their ability to walk. But I can't do it without you guys and your strength. Okay, and I believe that people with chronic illnesses are some of the strongest people in the world. And I appreciate it. And I love you guys. You guys have a good week. This is Dr. Jess Online from the Institute for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. But I digress. Have a good week. <laughs> have a good week.